0: good morning again really good morning again happy Easter I'm Todd and I'm the lead pastor here and I was supposed to tell you that at the beginning of the service but I dropped the ball the other thing I was supposed to tell you is this I told you that there were four reasons to get baptized I only gave you three I remembered when I sat down. The fourth one is faithfulness and obedience. Jesus commands us to be baptized, and so therefore, faithfulness and obedience. So let's, uh, today, we're going to look at a text in John's Gospel, chapter 20. And we're going to read it together in a couple of moments. I'm going to read the uh, blue, I think it is, or purple. You're going to read the black. And it's a long text, it's 19 verses. So you're going to need to stand and do that, so why don't you do that, why don't you stand with me, and um, thanks Kelly, Uh, and um, I know that you haven't had time to say hello to anybody beside you yet, but if I know glad tidings, then, well, you've already done all that, but you know what, just formally, on this Easter Sunday, why don't you take a minute, a minute, a minute, and greet some people around you, why don't you do that, and wish them happy Easter and all that good love stuff. You got thirty seconds. <clears throat> if you want to get out in time for lunch, <clears throat> you got fifteen seconds. There it is. Hey, we're all back. Excellent. Now, so we want to talk today, and we're going to focus on one of our favorite people in the Bible, and that is Peter. And the reason why we like Peter so much is because we identify with Peter. Peter is one of those people in the Bible that is very, very human, just like us. And so the title of today's message is called Wedged Between the Past and the Future, And this is what the text says in John's Gospel. And after Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, by the way, the Sea of Tiberias is the same as the Sea of Galilee, just another name for it. And he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you.
1: And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish.
0: It must be Easter Sunday morning. You're reading really well. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It's the Lord! And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish. They were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off.
1: When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn.
0: And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead.
1: When they had finished breakfast, said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, Tend my sheep.
0: And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me?
1: And after saying this, he said to him, follow me.
0: Well done. Well done. Let's pray together. Father, again, on this Easter Sunday morning in 2017, we are so thankful for the visitation, the exhibition, the illustration, example of your generous, extravagant love, the resurrected Christ. And we pray that by His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that you will give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, hearts to understand, minds to comprehend, and Lord, help us physically and tangibly in meaningful ways to live out your truth in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the places where we work, in the city of Sudbury. And Lord, wherever it is that we may go in our travels. We love you, we praise you, and thank you, in Christ's name, amen. I want you to be seated. So Peter, Peter is a person wedged between the past and the future. Like yesterday, yesterday was Holy Saturday. And I want you just for a moment this morning to think what it must have been like For Peter and the rest of the disciples to know that Jesus died, and we know from Scripture that they weren't, they did not know that He was going to rise from the dead. They did that didn't compute with them. So you can imagine yesterday for the disciples and long into last night and early this morning, it must have been a long 24 hours for Peter and for the disciples. Now, in our text, this is Jesus' third appearance. To Peter and the disciples, but between the last appearance and this appearance, a lot of time has passed. But how much time? Well, enough time that Peter is filled with uncertainty. He doesn't know what to do. And of course, with the the uncertainty comes disequilibrium that Peter is unbalanced, and as a result of that, he is stuck. Not unlike me and you, when we find ourselves in the wake of a crisis, and there is a waiting period, a period of uncertainty. For example, when we follow a significant death or a job loss, and no hope of employment on the future. Or on the horizon, or after a divorce, or the loss of a relationship, the time after that diagnosis, or that financial crisis, or the empty nest, or graduating from university and college without any prospects of getting a job. Or after the thing that we wish would have never happened, and the despair, and the guilt, the crisis, the tragedy, and disaster, it will do those things to us. It's as if all of the supports have been pulled out from under us, and there is nothing secure to hold on to. Nothing is firm. And when we are stuck between the past and the future, time and life marches on, but somehow we can't seem to move with it. And so we are wedged, stuck between the past and the future. We might also call this the present. Now this is where Peter is particularly He is wedged between the past and the future. And he doesn't know what to do. Should we move forward, but to where and how? Or should we go back? And if you are, or if you have ever been in a predicament like that, then thankfully God doesn't leave us there. When we are stuck, most of us, or many of us, we don't let go of the past easily. We don't let go of the familiar very easily either. And our tendency in times when we are wedged, when we are stuck between the past and the future, like Peter is, the tendency is to look back and to go back. Now, what's interesting in the Bible, in both Testaments, the Old and the New, it talks about this. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 19, verse 26, the story of Lot and his family leaving Sodom. And the Bible tells us that the angel said to them, do not look back, just go. Don't look back, but the record tells us that Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And in Luke's Gospel in the New Testament, Jesus says these words. It's the second shortest verse in the Bible. He says, remember Lot's wife. And then we come to the people of Israel in the book of Genesis as they've come out of Egypt. And every time they hit a bump, every time they experienced some sort of hardship, every time they had some sort of crisis, the first thing they wanted to do is they wanted to go back to Egypt, even though... It was a place where they were slaves. And then Jesus says these words in the New Testament, in the Gospels. He says that no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And then, of course, Paul says in the book of Philippians, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. And the reason why these texts exist because looking back is problematic. And this then brings us to Peter. To Peter. Peter is the one person after the resurrection of Jesus that's not sorted out. And Peter's tendency and automatic default position is to go back to his former livelihood. And so he does. He went back. He went back home. He went back to the old place, the Sea of Tiberius or Galilee, a place that he knew. He went back with his old friends. And in old places, with old friends, to his old ways, to what was familiar to what he used to be successful at, fishing. Now, there's a couple of observations that we need to make here. And the first one is this, is the observation of influence. Now, Peter is still a leader. So Peter says, hey, I'm going out fishing. And the rest of them just say, okay, we'll come along with you. And the point here is simply this, part of the problem with going back is that when we go back, usually there's some people who follow us. Matter of fact, whether we go backwards or we go frontwards, the reality is that there's always people that are going to follow us, or there are people that we're going to take with us. Now, the second observation is fishing in the dark. Now, I want you to pause for a moment and just think about that. Now, I could be missing something here, But does fishing in the dark make sense? Now, I've heard, I've heard that people fish in the dark and they usually use a a high-powered light, a flashlight, and apparently I'm told, I've never done this, that the fish are attracted by the light. Now, I'm sure that the disciples would have had some torch out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee when it's pitch dark. Did you hear about the two guys who were out fishing? And they were fishing a whole long time and um, they never caught anything. So finally, one guy opens up his pack and pulls out a stick of dynamite, lights the stick of dynamite, throws it in the water, boom! And all these fish come floating to the surface. And the guy, his friend says, man, you can't do that, that's illegal! Guy opens up his pack again, pulls out a stick of dynamite, lights it, throws it to the guy and says, now, are you going to talk or are you going to fish? But fishing in the dark, really? Now, I would think, I would think that if you're fishing in the dark, that means either you don't want to be seen, you don't want to be caught at what you're doing, or you're doing doing something illegal. But the third observation is this, not only are they fishing in the dark, but the futility of fishing in the dark. Matter of fact, well, unless you're using dynamite, they fished all night, verse 2 says, and they caught nothing. Goose eggs, nothing. Now, what a frustrating night. They fished all night and they got nothing. All their, their labor was in vain. Now, here's the catch. Pun intended there. Here's the catch. The point is, we can't go back. And even if we could and wanted to, the point is that there is nothing back there, it's futile. It's fruitless. There's nothing back there. I had a friend of mine who grew up in Germany. And uh, Andy used to dream about uh, what kind of house his grandmother had when they lived in Berlin. And he remembered this beautiful stone century home with a huge lawn and a fountain. So he went back. To visit this beautiful place where his grandmother and grandfather lived. And when he got there, he realized that it was the end unit of a townhouse complex. And the grass was about four feet wide and long. And the fountain was actually a pipe that came out of the side of the building. You see, the, the, the past, and the stories of the past get better with age, just like good wine. It gets better with age. But the point here is that there is nothing to go back to. They caught nothing. So we will never find our future secure by looking back. And the uncertainty we feel currently and presently will never be resolved by looking in the past. The only way to face our failures The only way to face our fears, the only way to face our future, is to look to Jesus and realize that he is there waiting for us in the future. And so that then brings us to Jesus. Letting go and holding on. Jesus is the stranger on the shore. Verse 4 says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Just as day was breaking, Jesus came to the disciples, and he comes to us when it is morning. Jesus brings light and hope to our lives. When Jesus arrives in our lives, he brings us out of our darkness. And for Peter, spiritually and emotionally and mentally and relationally, it is about to be daybreak. But Jesus comes and stands on the shore, but they are so stuck. They are so wedged between what has happened on Good Friday and where they are currently that they don't even recognize Jesus. And one of the reasons why we don't recognize Jesus when he comes to us is because we don't expect Jesus to show up in our failures, in our fears, in our uncertainty. And in our disequilibrium. But that's exactly where Jesus meets us. He meets us in our failure. He meets us in our fears. He meets us in our uncertainty and in our disequilibrium. And then verse 5 says, And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? Well, he already knew. And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And John, John, the writer of the gospel, all of a sudden has a ha-ha moment. And it dawns on him, deja vu, this has happened before. And it has. In Luke's Gospel chapter 5, Jesus comes up to Peter and Peter has been fishing all night and he's he's mending or he's cleaning his his nets and Jesus says to Peter, he says, I want you to push out your boat and let down your nets again and Peter sort of objects but he does it anyway and wouldn't you have it, all of a sudden there is a catch so great that they can hardly bring the thing to shore. And this moment in Luke's Gospel chapter 5 is Peter's first aha moment Of who it is that Jesus is. But it's also his first aha moment of who he is. And he says these words, or the Bible says in Luke's Gospel 5.8, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now in our text, in our text in John 20, it finally dawns on John who it is that's on the shore. And as they make their way to the shore, Jesus is preparing breakfast on the beach. Now again, there's a couple of things in play here. The first one is this. The first one, verse 9 says, When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. A charcoal fire. Does anybody know what this is reminiscent of? This is reminiscent of another charcoal fire. In the Gospels where Peter is around a charcoal fire on Good Friday when Jesus is going through his suffering and is he's warming himself around this charcoal fire, A little girl or a young teenager comes up to him and and says, aren't you one of his disciples? And the Bible says, with cursing, he denies Jesus. Here's something interesting, or for me it's interesting. There is only two times in the New Testament that the word charcoal fire is used. And each time the word is a Greek word, it's called anthracia. Anthracia means a charcoal fire. And it's only used two places in the New Testament. It is used in John chapter 18, where, Jesus, where Peter denies Jesus. And it's used here in John chapter 21 of the fire that Jesus is making for his disciples. Now, here's the deal. Jesus is not trying to remind Peter of his failure. Matter of fact, Peter doesn't need any reminding the smell of the charcoal fire alone is more than enough memory but Peter has been living with his denial of Jesus for weeks and for days he doesn't need any reminding and Jesus is not trying to rub his nose in his failure No, Jesus is recreating a scene to create a different outcome The other thing that's in play is this. Bread and fish. Jesus gives it, and they take it. It's reminiscent of another meal. And the other meal that we're talking about is in John chapter 13, where it is the Passover meal, is the institution of the communion or the Lord's table or Eucharist. And Jesus says to his disciples, you are all going to abandon me. And Peter Says to him, Lord, even if everybody abandons you, I will follow you even to death. And Jesus says to Peter, Before the rooster crows three times, you are going to disown me three times. But now, this bread and this fish, this meal, is about recreating a scene of friendship of restored relationship. Because this is what it comes down to. In the midst of our own pain and our own brokenness and the difficulties of life, we have to do business with Jesus. Before we can move out of our uncertainty, before we can move forward, we have to do business with Jesus. And i got to tell you, letting go of the past, whether it is a failure or it is fear or it is some tragedy or disaster or disappointment, you can put whatever situation and word you want in there to deal with the difficult of the past. Is, it is hard work for a lot of reasons. And one of the main reasons why we don't welcome the future is because we're not entirely convinced that the future is better than the past. Did you hear that? One of the reasons why we don't welcome the future is because we are not absolutely convinced that the future is actually going to be better than our past. And so leaning forward... And moving on. Life ahead might prove difficult. And there is no guarantees in this life that there will not be tragedy, and there will not be difficulty, and there will not be failure. But here's a news bulletin. Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, turbulence, trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So how do we move forward when we're wedged between the past and the future? For Peter, it's how does he move forward or how does he follow through after failure? And there are two reasons. There are two reasons for Peter's change. The first one is love. That he has experienced love as a result of an experience with Jesus. And the second one is power. Power. The power of the resurrection. We can't go back. Although there are times we want to and we wish we could, the resurrection says we have to go forward. Jesus already went back. And he dealt with our fears, and he dealt with our failures, and he dealt with all of the things that we're going through, yours and mine, ours. But the resurrection says that the only way is forward. The resurrection is about how we move ahead. The resurrection is about how we move beyond our past and our present into our future. And here's the resurrection's answer. Through a power, not our own. By the power of the resurrection, by the power of the resurrected Jesus, Peter is looking for equilibrium, Peter is looking for certainty, and he finds both because of Christ's love for him and because of the power of the resurrected Jesus. And the proof, as we say, is in the pudding. Peter's final witness. Now we know that Peter is a failure. Most Good Fridays, most Easter seasons, we dwell on it. We know that Peter drops the ball horribly. Peter is the other side of the coin of Judas. Judas did not have to end his life. He could have found forgiveness. Peter found forgiveness. And tradition tells us, historical tradition tells us this, legend tells us this. That Peter, of course, gave his life, all of his life to serve Jesus. In Rome, they tell us that Peter's family, particularly Peter's wife, was crucified because she was a Christ follower. And after she was abused and used, they crucified her on a cross, and legend tells us that when, as she was dying, Peter sat at her cross, at the foot of her cross, and he sang hymns to encourage her into eternity. And then we are told the story of Peter. When Peter's turn came to be crucified, he said, I am not worthy to be crucified the way that my Savior was crucified. And history tells us that Peter, when he was crucified, they crucified him upside down. And he suffered his way into the very real presence of God. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, friends, remember, God is a redeemer, and the resurrection is proof of it. That means that, among other things, that no facet of our life and experience is wasted. God can use both our strengths and our weaknesses our victories and our defeats, our trophies and our scars, God can take our mistakes and our mishaps and use them to lead people who are stuck. That is, people wedged between the past and the future. Out of the bondage of sin into the promise of God, what may appear to us to be jagged shards of bad decisions and deep regret, can be in the hands of God's centerpieces of resurrection mosaic. That is the wonder of Easter. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but but. We all know what failure is like. We all know what it is to drop the ball. And sometimes we think that the ball that we've dropped is the crystal one that can never be reclaimed. No, the resurrection proves otherwise. We all know what it means to experience deep difficulty in life, disappointment. That leaves us in uncertainty and leaves us in such unbalanced ways. We all know what it is to fear. We all know what it is to live in the wake of that. But the hope of the resurrection, the hope of Easter is this. That you don't have to be wedged between your past And your future. You don't have to live with your regret. You don't have to live with your failure. You don't have to live with the pain. Because the power of the resurrection says otherwise. He who brings life out of death is able to bring new life out of that which has died in you. And this morning, on this Easter Sunday, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, all you have to do is say yes to God's offer of love and forgiveness. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do is say yes. And between you and the Holy Spirit and a bunch of rest of us, we'll work the rest out. But all you got to do today is say yes to God's offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the musicians to come. And while they're coming, I want us to just pray together. Heavenly Father, again for your extravagant, generous love demonstrated in, through, and as Jesus Christ. And the magnitude and the power and the victory and the glory of the resurrection... That we celebrate today is enough to break the bonds of sin in our lives. It's enough to erase our past. It's enough to overcome our failures and defeat them. It's enough to give us strength and courage in the midst of fear. It's enough for us to be able to envision and grasp a different future, a new future. Because your word says that you make all things new. So Father, today, for those of us that have already said yes to your offer and love of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, we pray that you would do that for us. Again, afresh and new. But for those today in this room and watching online, that this is the first time that they're ever going to say yes to your offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And the hope of the future. Lord, that you would just make yourself so real and so vivid and so pronounced in their lives that they cannot but help see it and experience it. We love you. We give you praise. Now, Holy Spirit, this is your ground. This is your field. This is where you work and navigate in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.